So with GMO farming, when you have the bees GPS tuned and set for their location, some of either the chemicals in Roundup or whatever chemicals they receive from, from the weeds around or from the plants around, they, they, they receive some of those toxins that mess up their GPS abilities. And one day the bee leaves its hives and the bees leave their hives and they fly around and, and never come back. They just, they just, they're lost. They're lost, they, they never show back. Uh, they, you're, you're losing bees. It's, it's one of those things. Um, there's a few theories, and colony collapse disorder is, is one of those things that it's not finalized yet, the exact, re, uh, the exact cause of it. There's some theories that all the electromagnetic fields that are um, around the cell towers and the electric um, transmission lines affect the ability to navigate also. So it's not quite clear to the uh, bee scientists today, but for sure uh, that the GMO crop management messes up with the immune system of the bee, not because, um, because it's directly affecting the bees, but because it wipes out all the variety of food that the bees would have had if it went for that type of, of uh, farming. Second reason, GMO crop management allows the bees to receive some of these toxins from, um, from the nectar they collect, and it messes up with their navigation ability and their immune system as well. Now, uh, let me show you some, some other slides here, and you will see the immensity of these, um, of these vast fields and problems. This is North Dakota. Um, and you have thousands of acres of wild clover. This is, this is um, sweet clover, a yellow variety you have. It's in yellow and, and white. And uh, you have fields and fields full of it. Some, some, some of the fields will have flax. And this is flax blossoming. Um, you will have some commercial crops. Oh, yeah, wild horses, of course. They have horses running around. You would work on your beehive and you will feel somebody nudging you in the back. You turn around, it's a horse. <laughs> it's very interesting. They're beautiful creatures, but you would, have, um, you would have, let's say you would have your forklift loading up and you are moving your yard because your neighbors have sprayed their, their crop. You want to move your bees. And those are the challenges with, uh, with GMO. Now, you may want to move them at night and at sunset when the moon rises, you want to load them on a truck and you will have hundreds of acres of sunflowers that are unfortunately um, sprayed. And these uh, particular leaves were eaten by locusts. If you are a beekeeper and you are not registered with the county, the airplane will go and you know, spray that crop and it can kill all your bees. Or they will spray Roundup in the daytime when your bees are on the flowers. And that is detrimental to the health of the bee. So you want to register with the county when you move your bees to commercial crops. You want to register because if you are registered, two days before they will spray, they are supposed to call you and warn you that we will be spraying this crop in two days, so please take measures to prevent your losses, you know. And, 
And these are the dangers of, 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 um, of non-organic farming, or, or conventional farming, I'd say. Uh, as you can see, these are wild, um, wild sweet clover, wild sunflowers. Uh, and commercial beekeepers bring their bees there by thousands. Goldenrod, by the way, um, produces pretty good honey. What happens in um, alpha, alpha, <laughs> uh, what happens in um, commercial beekeeping these days, more and more of these crops are managed by chemicals rather than by people. More and more of these crops, basically, you don't touch the crop, you spray the crop. And you don't even put your tractor in the field except when you plant. You just spray it out of the airplane. And it's done quick, it's so easy, it's cheap, but it's so damaging both to the future of agriculture, to the health of the plants, and to the health of the insects that pollinate the, the plants. And those are some of the dangers. Yes? So they tell you they're going to spray in two days. What do you do? So what does a beekeeper do when they are going to spray? Let's look at that. You have two options. You can close your bees for two or three hours if it's not too hot. You can literally put some kind of mesh at the entrance of the hive that would let the air in and out, but won't let the bees out. But if you have a thousand of bees, it'll take you two days to do that. <laughs> so it's not an effective way of dealing with it. But if you have 50 hives, or 10 hives, or five hives, you can do that. You can just put a, like, like a mesh gate so the bees cannot escape out of the hive. And for three, four, five hours, they'll be okay if it's not too hot. Now, if it's very hot around noontime, most of the spraying is happening in the morning. Chemical and, and any Roundup spray is done in the morning. By noon, you can take your, your restriction and let the bees out, and they'll be okay. Now, um, if you have a few hundred of colonies or a few thousand of colonies, you can't do that. Uh, or if it's too hot, you cannot do that with your own hives. So you want to move your bees away. So you load them up uh, on a truck at night. And uh, if, let's say, it's hot and they are still crowded on the front of the hive and you want to load them up, you spray them with spray bottle or with some kind of you know, mist of water and it'll cause them to go in. Load them up on a truck. If you have them on pallets, you load them on pallets and use forklift. If you have a buddy to help you carry each individual hive, you put them on a, you know, on a, on a truck and move them somewhere where it's safe. You find out those locations, place them there for a couple of days, and then bring them back. Now, you don't want to move your bees closer than five miles. I would recommend even 10 miles. Because if you moved your bees just uh, four miles away, guess what happens? They come back. They come out of their colony there, and they fly around and return back to the yard, and there's no, no hive in my yard. What's happening? So they will cluster on some nearby structure, on a tree, on a barn, on a car. They will just cluster. A huge, huge swarm will be hanging on your tree. And um, that's what happens. Yes? That's right. That's a, that's a good method. One thing you want to add to that, that's an excellent way of, of moving bees into a new, new thing. One thing you want in a new container or a real hive, one thing you want to do you need to open that original barrel and get the queen and the brood and put it in that box too. So that will complete the job. Otherwise, the field bees will be in a new, in a new house, but the, the indoor bees will still be in the old barrel, right? So, so um, we, have, um, we have another challenge to beekeeping today, and that comes from uh, 
from beekeepers themselves. Many beekeepers today use harsh chemicals and antibiotics to treat their bees. They do their job. The antibiotics take care of the disease. Antibiotics, the antibiotics take care of, um, of, of, of their health. The bees improve well if they are sick. For example, if they have a disease called American fowl brood, which is devastating and basically killing the young larva, you can apply antibiotics and it'll heal the colony. Within two, three weeks, it'll be back to normal health. But um, as humans, the bees suffer from it because of the resistance that bacteria develops to, towards those particular antibiotics. So the beekeepers also have to find new antibiotics to treat the old disease. Yeah. And it's because of um, poor management. Most of these disease, like American fowl brood, is the result of poor management of the colony. The colony is hungry, doesn't have enough food. The comb is old and dirty. Every three or four years, you want to replace and build new comb because every generation of bees that is born in the comb leaves their cocoon stuck to the, to the cell. So your original wax that's just built is beautiful white or yellow. When there's one generation of bees that is born out of that comb, when, when it's raised and leaves the, the, the comb, the comb becomes darker, browner. The more generation of bees were hatched out of that comb will become darker and darker, and eventually become black. If you look through your comb and you still can see brown light through the comb, you're okay. But if you look through the comb and it's dark, you don't see light, it's time to throw that piece of comb away because there's so many shells and cocoons left in that comb that bacteria and viruses find their safe spot between the layers of these cocoons. And it doesn't matter that the, the worker bees polished everything and, and cleaned everything and covered with propolis. Between those cocoon layers, there's room for bacteria to be present and develop. So you want to throw away your old comb. Don't just throw away, melt it and reuse the wax. And uh, that's a good practice management. If you didn't switch your comb within four or five years, there's a good chance you'll get American fowl brood. Also, you'll get it in cold weather when the bees are hungry and, and, and you just have old comb in it and they'll get sick. Just a question here and then back. Yes, many people do that. And the healthiest, most natural way of doing that is not to provide any wax of, or frame for the, for the bee. You just put a plank and put a tiny little starter layer of wax on it. The bees then will build their own wax. They, they will build their own comb. They'll bring their own nectar. They polish it with propolis. And you just cut it out, cut it in small pieces. You can sell it. You can package it. You can put it on your plate, eat it with fork. Mash it, put it in your toast. And you can eat fresh wax. It's good for you. It's not dangerous. You can swallow it and, and be just fine. Now, if it's old wax, it's hard to chew, it's stinky. You don't want your comb honey in black wax, <laughs> in black comb. So only fresh comb is good for, the, for, the, for that. And it's the healthiest, cleanest, most natural way of having honey. If you already put a, a frame that has a foundation 
that foundation is made out of processed wax and you don't know what kind of chemicals are in it. And if you eat on that, chew on that, you don't know what chemicals are in it. That's why it's best to have fresh comb that's built by the bees. Question and then there. You can do that. Here's how it's done. Um, you can come, um, maybe you, I'll tell you how I got into beekeeping here in the US. I came to Southwestern in 91 to go to school and I, I went to that school for, you went there too? Uh, all right, what year? 91? Yeah, yeah, I went there in 91, yeah, 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 you look familiar too now. <laughs> All right, so Sandy, you went in 91 too, I remember you too. So, we <laughs> you're still young, so don't worry. <laughs> By the way, I started college very late in life, uh, American college, because I went to college in Russia before I came to America, so I was 26 when I started college in the U.S., so it was late in life. I got married when I was 30, so. Um, anyway, here we are. Uh, why are we talking about Keene? I forgot. Oh, I came in 91 to Keene. The first weekend, I, I was lonely, missed my family, strange country, strange language. You know, people are different, houses are different. Everything is different in this country, you know? So I'm, I'm taking a walk around Keene Elementary School and there was, there was some woods behind it. So I'm walking through those woods and as I'm walking through the woods, it was January, yeah. I see a basketball-sized thing on a tree. And I say, I wonder what that is. And that's my first weekend in America. And I heard beautiful stories about America, that America is a country you get rich overnight. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I wonder if that's a bee colony. So I come to that tree, and I see, sure enough, it's, it's a ball of wax, comb built, you know, pieces of comb about this size. And I say, it's January. Sure enough, it's an abandoned comb structure. And they probably are dead because it's kind of cold. And I come close and I look inside and I see movement there. <laughs> say, oh, there's a colony of bees there. Great. So I went around town. I looked if anybody has boxes like hives. And I found a guy that had hives. I said, hey, can you give me one of your old boxes? He said, sure. So he gave me an old box with bottom and lead. And I went to that, uh, that spot. And what I had to do, I had to do a bee surgery. So basically, I brought the box, put it on the ground, I took my, my small knife, pocket knife, and I, those, the, the wild comb is never straight and, and geometrically correct. It's sometimes, you know, some bigger, some smaller, some are connected horizontally, some are wavy. So you use your knife and slice them like bread to make nice slices of comb. Some kind of geometric, geometrically shaped that you can put them in a frame is you cut out a piece, take it together with bees, and put it inside of a wooden frame. And you can use rubber bands to secure that piece of comb within the frame. You just put a rubber band on it on both sides and that comb in between the rubber band and just carry it back and put it in the hive. And go ahead and cut another piece out. And there should be maybe four, five, six pieces in that cluster with bees. Make sure that when you are done with this job, the bees that are left over on the branch, um, you shake them off right in the box and put the lid and carry it to your new location. And remember, your new location should be how far away from the place you found them? Five. More than five miles. More than five miles, yeah. Um, they are, 
you will see that they already are built to the size that they want. So maintain that size. They're about an inch, an inch and a half. Yeah. No, I wasn't. But it wasn't Africanized colony. And at that time in 91, I don't think we had Africanized bees there yet. Today we have. So at that time, they were gentle. I didn't have a suit, nothing. It, it was winter, too. They, uh, in the winter, the colony is smaller. In the winter, they have about 8,000 bees. In the summer, they have, a colony has about 30,000 bees in the summer. And in the winter, they are smaller. In the summer, they increase. And in the winter, again, smaller to about 8,000. No, well, the comb is naturally... Yeah, you're cutting the connections that hold the comb ball together. Because each piece of comb is already uh, the, the right size. The bees make it the right depth. But then, in order for that piece not to just fall down, they interconnect the pieces with some connection that you can cut through. And then those naturally um, designed by the bees pieces, you put in, in those frames and put them in a box. Shake the remaining bees off. If they are flying around too much, you may want to take a spray bottle that, and wet them a little bit with water, and they fly less, and they clump together as a cluster. Then shake them off in the box, put the lid, and move them more than five miles, and keep them there you know, for some time. If it was close to your yard, then you move them somewhere far, keep them there for months, and then you can bring them back into your yard where you want them, because within a month, all the, all the bees will die. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, two more questions. Let's go here and then there. Ah. You remember that um, when the bee is about 12 days old, it has special glands. Glands is a part of your body that produces something. Like you have tear glands right here. So your, your glands produce something. So the bee's glands on her tummy have little openings, and they start producing these little uh, waxy pieces about the size of one-eighth of, of an inch, maybe one-sixteenth of an inch size. And they take those pieces from their tummy, they munch on, the, uh, on those with their mandibles or their jaws, and shape them the way they want, sort of like, have you seen people um, work with clay, making, okay, pottery, or like you do something out of cement, so they do that with wax, and they make any shape they want. They, their best shape they make is six-sided six shape, hexagonal shape. It's the best size for the strength and the capacity. It's the strongest, and you can put the most stuff in it without wasting space. And they build them strong, and they can put stuff in. So these bees build new comb. When you throw away your old one, you put an empty frame, and you put a foundation in it which tells them where you want your comb. And they will build it overnight if they have enough honey. If they have enough honey, overnight, next morning, you open it up, whoa, look at this, new comb. <laughs> Why can they build that fast? Because there's about 20, 30,000 of them there. <laughs> and, and they do it fast. 20 or 30,000 overnight can build two or three frames. Then uh, you put a few new combs in, and if there's plenty of nectar coming in, they build them overnight. And if there's no nectar coming in, but you give them sugar water, remember, use your cane sugar, it's non-GMO. They build them overnight too with just sugar water. Yes? I did. I did. 
I moved them to a guy who had a farm. Uh, I even remember his name. His name was Wolfer. Wolfer. And uh, he lived like 12 miles away. And I had to scout the guy. I had a bicycle. I didn't have a car. So I rode my bike around and asked farmers, hey, can I put a beehive on your property? No. Hey, can I put a bee on your property? No. <laughs> so about 12 miles, 12 miles away, I found a guy who said, oh, sure. You have, you have to, to, you have, no. He said some, some rude word, but I, 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 don't, I can't find a good word to say that. You have to be a fool not to want bees. That's basically what he was trying to say. Because bees are good for you, bees are good for everything. That's, so, oh, great. So I put my, my colony there. By the time I graduated, I had 40 colonies out of that one. Within three years, because I graduated in three years. So I had 40 colonies out of that one colony. I sold them and uh, had about $3,500. So, so that, that was a blessing that, that I received there. In, uh, and by the way, meanwhile, as I was in college, they produced honey. So I bottled the honey in, in, in similar bottles like this yeah, and put it in a local gr uh, grocery store down Old Betsy Street or whatever that was. And I sold, sold that honey there in that store. So that helped me out through college. Yes? Right. Right, right. I would recommend start with two hives. Do two hives, that's sufficient for pollination around. Um, two hives is better than one because if you started with one and it died, you will be disappointed for the rest of your life. <laughs> but if you start with two and one died, you still will have the energy to say, hey, come on, I, need, I can do it, I can do it, let me continue on. So the second one will take you through the next season and you can split it and have the second hive. Bees normally double or triple every year. So if you started with two colonies, next year you'll have six. So next, and, and two years later you'll have 18, you know, so yes. You can sell them off. You can sell them off to friends. You can, um, you can, um, you can limit instead of allowing them to split and make new colonies. You can load them heavily with new comb. For example, you give them new foundation, and instead of spending honey on raising new babies, they will be focused on building comb. So, also if you're focusing on building comb, you're producing less honey. So. Um, uh, that's a disadvantage. But comb is also important. You want to have fresh comb all the time. So um, in Texas, a hive produced about, in Keene, Texas, almost every summer I had about 50, 70 pounds of each colony. Some, and it was stationary in one spot. Um, I'd never moved them anywhere. But main producer in Keene, Texas was um, mesquite and uh, dewberries, whatever, blackberries in the spring. And then you would harvest honey sometime in August. It would be dark honey, strong flavor, but very healthy for you. Yes? The what berries? I don't know what that are. Uh huh. No, I don't know what they are. I've never seen. Huh. Really? Really? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. Y yes. Just a moment. Uh, right. Do you have mesquite growing? I don't think so. 
uh, it, it doesn't have to be right next to you. It, it could be within five miles around. Anything blossoming wild, any weeds, any clover, any alfalfa, any weeds at all? I mean, probably. It's mostly forest, but... Okay. I'll tell you what. Even forest produces honey. And by the way, in Europe, the most expensive and healthiest honey you can find is the honey made from the forest. That honey is actually technically not from nectar. That honey is collected from substance called honeydew and honeydew is a byproduct of of the life of aphids and similar small creatures they live on pine trees or oak leaves and they exude sticky shiny gooey substance that is sweet it's sugar honey when the bees forage for honey, they look for flowers. If they can't find flowers, they look for Coke bottles or anything that, that has sweet stuff. Anybody fueled your truck or your car at the gas station and seen bees flying around the trash can? Why? Because they smell some sugar there. They sense some sugar in the Coke. You know how many sugar spoonfuls are there in the Coke? <laughs> the bees can tell that. So they come and they will go around that bottle try to get some sugar. If they can't find Coke or anything else sweet, they will find this, this uh, honeydew. And the honeydew is, um, is sweet enough, it attracts bees, and it, ma it makes the bees' stomach upset. So it's not a good honey for the winter, because in the winter, bees don't go bathroom at all. They stay in a hive. They don't defecate at all, in all winter, for five, six months. So if they collected honeydew from the oaks and the pine tree and it's their food in the winter and it's cold, they're going to die because their abdomens will be full with excrements and they can't defecate and they'll die. So in the warm climates like this, honeydew produces okay honey for the winter because they can fly out in the winter and, and empty their bowels. You know, they are okay. For human consumption, that honey is very strong. It's like molasses. It, it's, it's very dark. It's almost like it's molasses color and molasses taste. It's very expensive in Europe because people there swear by its healing properties. It's very rich in, in ashes and in other minerals. Um, it's, it's very, very, very healthy supposedly and it's very expensive in Europe. Now, in America, we don't market that honey. We don't, just don't have that honeydew honey. And honeydew, not like a honeydew melons. It's, it's that, that aphid exudate that, that the bees collect. So yes, they will collect from oaks and pines from the forest. It'll be very dark, and if you can harvest it and ship it to Europe, they'll pay high price for it there. <laughs> you can eat it, it won't kill you. Um, it's very rich in minerals and nutrients. It doesn't taste good. It tastes worse than molasses. But molasses tastes good to me, so I don't know. If you like molasses, I like molasses, but some people don't like the taste of molasses. So, yes? I don't think anybody's doing that. Yeah. <laughs> it would be expensive. That's true. <laughs> uh, now, I know that... Um, 
there's artificial honey produced, uh, but it's derived in other ways than feeding the bees. It's it's mixture of sugars with some acids, and and it you can buy artificial honey, yes. But uh, I've never heard of beekeepers trying to manufacture honey from coke. However, or any other, they manufacture the bees make honey out of uh, sugar for sure. But that honey is just sugar. That's all. It doesn't have any nutrients. Doesn't have any you know minerals. Nothing. It's just sugar. That's all. The benefits of honey is not its sugar content. Remember, the benefits of honey is all the micronutrients and all the minerals. Yes. Oh. Yes. Yes. I hear what you're saying. Who's keeping time? Because I'm not keeping time, and I don't know when we're supposed to take a break. But I'll, uh, let me see. <laughs> All right. Uh, let let me answer that question. And we'll take a break. Uh, the beekeepers, and especially the bee packaging companies, experiment with flavors. Beekeepers, um, the only kind of experimentation that they do is take the bees from crop to crop and trying to isolate different flavors and say, hey, this is blackberry honey, this is sunflower honey, this is alfalfa honey, or this is clover honey. And you can tell by color or by taste or by flavor. Sometimes beekeepers, I did this this past summer, let the bees mix all that in the, in the colony over the whole summer and they extract the honey at the end of the season so they have this bouquet of flavors, this, this, this nice blended flavor that the bees blended. And, and you enjoy that and, and you may market it that way. But some of the packaging companies uh, experiment in a different ways. They buy honey from US producers, from South American producers, from China or from Ukraine or Russia. And then they look at the colors of the honey. Dark honey is not very popular with most Americans. So they would prefer light color. So some of the American producers in the north get very dark honey. And they say, like buckwheat honey is very dark. Uh, in California, this is blackberry mainly. Uh, it has lots of blackberry color in it. And it's dark, and people think, oh, this is dark. I don't like it. You know? So packaging companies buy lighter colors honey from other producers. For example, Chinese tallow tree produces very light color honey. Um, acacia or honey locust tree produces very light color. Um, if clover, alfalfa produces light colored honey, they blend honeys. They they grab some honey from South America, some from from China, some from Russia, some from the U.S., and try experimenting blending different varieties to achieve the right balance between color and flavor. And then they will sell it, but they will not uh, market it as a monoflor or monoculture honey. They'll say uh, something like um, uh, wildflower honey. <coughs> yeah. Or they would stay on, state on the label, honey sourced in this and this and this country. You know, they have to have some kind of disclosure, and they do that. So let's take, uh, take a break, and then, then we'll talk about... Um, in the afternoon, we'll talk about spiritual lessons we learn from the bees. 
and that's going to be interesting. If anybody's interested in some of the honey, you can check it out, and I, I can sell it for $5 to you. Yes. Um, all right, guys, let me just tell you what we're going to do in the afternoon. We'll finish right now with organic beekeeping, and I'll show you the hardware, beekeeping hardware. Uh, we'll talk about um, um, some, instead of using chemicals and, and pesticides, you could organically manage the pests and the disease. So we'll talk about that. We also we'll talk about, um, um, we'll talk about uh, pests like uh, hive beetle and uh, big pests like bears. We'll talk about, um, um, about pollination and about commercial honey production in afternoon. And our last class at 4 o'clock will be the spiritual lessons taught by the bees. So that's the plan. So we have left hardware, um, organic methods of managing bees, pollination, honey production, and spiritual lessons. So we are done with ABCs as far as uh, life of a bee and, and, and the work that the bees do. Let's move to... to um, hardware first and on this slide right there you can see a bear working on a beehive he's a beekeeper and he has a very thick coat and he comes to eat plums and he breaks the branches off and he just eats the plums off the branches and then he throws the frames around after he ate the honey so he also uh, grabs pieces here and there of honey and some bees that didn't bother him. Some of them he just tosses around like this. Some of them he tests and uh, eats all the honey, leaves the empty comb out. Some of it he tests and uh, says, no, I don't like this. He just throws it away. So here's, uh, here's what a bear could do. Then he leaves his mark behind. Uh, and he ate persimmons and apples, as you can tell. And that's how he tests the honey. So, you know, he no honey, leave it alone. <laughs> so these are just some of, of the uh, re results of the honey um, pests, which bear is the largest pest you will get on your, on your farm. Uh, yes, and I'm about to talk about management of bears. You can do two things for the bears. You could do some kind of uh, uh, speaker that will produce loud noise or talking or speech or boom when, uh, when the bear approaches, there should be sensors. You could do electrical wiring around. Of course, the wiring should, should be consistent. When he breaks the wire and interrupts the circuit, then, then he, he has access to all your bees. It should be something like some kind of platform with, with consistent strong wire where whatever he touches, it shocks him and he moves away. Now, another way to manage it, you put some strobe lights that start blinking and flashing bright lights as the bear approaches. These are some of the things that people do to, to get rid of these pests. Now, as we looked at these, let me show you a few slides here. A colony will look like this. Let me make it larger. Uh, where is it? There we go. Uh, this is Northern California. This is Wima Farm. Some, there's a beet crop that was left in the weeds, I guess. It's been raining, and a colony normally in the winter is just two stories. Can you tell? This is story one and story two, and the lid on the top. The colony consists of a bottom board and a lid. 
inside of each box you can place two frames like this. You see these frames? That the bear discarded, he didn't like them. Each box will have 10 frames in it. Each frame, let me show you another slide here. Uh, each frame, you see, whoops. Each frame is made out of wood or plastic, depending on where you buy them and what you prefer. And it will have a foundation inside, you'll see it in a moment, that the bees will build on the comb and the cells to fill with honey and nectar. A box, normally, a box like this, if you buy retail, just one or two or five boxes, will cost you 10 to $15. If you buy bulk, you can buy a thousand of these boxes and you can drop your price down to $5 a box. You know? So if you bunch together with your friends and buy bulk, you'll get cheap prices. But if you buy one box or two or five boxes, it'll be more expensive. Frames will cost you about two to $50 a frame. A lid will cost you $10. A bottom board will cost you $10 also. But if you buy bulk, you can drop prices. Ha you know, a thousand pieces, you can drop the price down to half of that. Um, here's, here's up close of the frame. The frame is basically joined with nails. Um, if it's a plastic frame, it's a, it's a monostructure, just, just plastic frame that naturally um, has plastic look to it, but the middle of it is coated with wax. So the bees you know, have some kind of attraction to that plastic, because bees don't like plastic. Plastic uh, has ability to build up static electricity. Bees don't like that either. So it's coated with wax to avoid that. Um, eventually, if they accept, they don't accept plastic frames as well as wax frames. They like natural wax, but if you gave them plastic that's coated with wax, they will work. They sort of be reticent about it, but eventually when there's plenty of sugar water or plenty of nectar flow from the flowers, they will say, okay, we have no better you know, frame that will build this frame. They'll build it all right if there's plenty of nectar flow. They'll build the plastic frames too. As you can tell, this frame right there has not been built completely, it's just the foundation. It has the foundation for the cell that's imprinted on the machine. Eventually, they will be built into deep cells like that. And you'll see it on a slide over here, up close, somewhere here, let me see. Um, there, I had an up close of a frame. There we go. Um, this is the, the comb um, that the bees built. You can tell difference in color, can't you? Uh, lighter, darker. What, anybody can tell me why this is a little darker? Yeah, it's older. There was a generation or two of the bees that were hatched out of those cells. And some of these cells were used for storage of pollen and honey. So if, if the pollen was yellow that was stored in it, the, the, the wax will be slightly yellow there, you know. So um, the bees normally start building comb from the top down. So if it's a fresh foundation that you put in, they'll start building the top first, and within two or three days, they'll start building it all the way to the bottom. And as they bring nectar, they'll start depositing nectar in the cells around. They'll put thin nectar, or diluted fresh nectar, which is about 50% sugar content, in the bottom of the comb. As, as the water evaporates, they will 
move that nectar a little higher in a comb, and the bees will run around and keep it warm and fan their wings to evaporate extra water. And as the honey gets riper and riper, that means that it has less and less water in it, they will move it higher and higher and higher, and eventually ripe honey will end up right here in the top. When it's completely ripe, the bees will cap or seal, or can, if you wish, all this honey with, with lids that will prevent that honey from absorbing any moisture from the air. So that honey, it will be right consistency and can be stored there for many, many years and thousands of year, years if you wish. But if the honey is not sealed and it's kept in, uh, in climates where there's high humidity, the honey will absorb water and become thinner and thinner and thinner and eventually the honey will start fermenting. But if the water content is around 80, uh, around 20% or less, the honey will never go bad. So the only way to get honey spoiled is add a little water to it, <laughs> and then the honey will go bad. So that's, that's how the hardware looks. Um, a frame like this, you can probably build about uh, 20 to 30 frames at home with a hammer if you bought these pieces separately an hour. So 20 or 30 frames and now you can build, just nail together, put foundation in them. And the bees can construct comb out of it within a day or two. So that's, that's how, how that works. Yes? Oh, yes. They will um, eat that as needed. It's sort of like your cellar. You have all kinds of cans in your pantry or in your cellar. Um, you you eat it as you need it. Correct, correct. Yeah, if you want to keep it, you take it out. You put it in a centrifuge. The machine that uh, I sh you've seen this machine, the, the commercial machines I showed you, they are centrifuges. So when the honey is sealed, let me return that back. Here, here's a sealed frame of honey. You see, this honey has been capped and sealed. So before you extract the honey, you use a knife or a special uncapping machine. Takes the, the, the top layer of wax off, and then the honey is exposed. And you put this frame in a machine, a centrifuge, that spins the frame. As the frame is being spun in a machine, the, centrif the centrifugal force forces the honey out of the, of the cell, and it flows down to the bottom of the barrel. And the guy who invented the machine was a Czech guy by the name Franz Hruska. Basically, this guy was helping his dad. And in olden days, the way they extracted honey in 1800s, they would just take pieces of comb, bring them in a house, mash them, and strain the honey out. That's how they produced honey in olden days. But this guy was carrying a piece of comb and was running towards the house because the bees were chasing him. And he tripped, and as he was falling, his hand made this circular motion in the, in the, in the air, you know, like, woo! <laughs> now, the guy fell down, and as he was falling, he noticed as he was doing this motion, honey was not completely capped, and the honey was coming out of the frame. And he ran to his dad and said, Dad, Dad, no, we need to spin it like this. The honey comes out. So he made a machine. He was a small boy like you guys. He was just helping his dad. And they made a machine where they put the comb in the, in the extractor and they crank a handle and the, the comb is being spun and the honey comes out. And then what can you do with the comb? 
reuse it. You bring it back to the colony, put it in, and a week later, it's full of honey again. Then you take it out and put it in the machine, spin it, and bring it back. And the reason it's so important for the beekeepers, it takes about, about two, three pounds of honey to produce one piece of comb, one frame of comb. It takes so much honey because the bees have to eat the honey and their glands have to produce wax out of that honey. So if you're building comb every year, then your honey production will be very low. But if you are reusing your comb, then you're saving so much honey. So that's why beekeepers like to reuse the, the comb. All right, let's talk about something else, guys. Let's talk about um, maintaining healthy colonies in this um, today's unhealthy environment uh, of GMOs and, and, and chemical pesticides. And um, let me show you some, some healthy behavior of the bees and some unhealthy. Here we go. Uh, that's a healthy bee collecting pollen as you can tell, collecting pollen and nectar, as you can tell on the hairs of this bee, there's tiny grains of pollen everywhere, right? A healthy bee will collect these and it will use its legs. Somebody count the number of legs, kids, because you asked me how many legs. Yes, how many? Yes. And what the bee does, uses the front legs to comb her hair collect all the pollen and brush it back down on her body. Eventually, it uses the second set of legs and sticks that pollen to the, to the knee of, of her last pair of legs. And it adds a little nectar to it. And this is bee bread, all right? That's the bread for the bees. That's healthy. It's good for you. If the honey has these tiny pieces of pollen, it's healthy honey. It's good for you. If it's filtered, not raw, heated, it doesn't have any of these pollen and propolis and pieces of wax. So this bee will return back to the hive. It might collect some propolis next time it comes out in the, in the field, which is antibacterial. And it will polish things inside. It will store this in the cells. And it will be healthy and strong. However, you add some kind of pesticides to the field where it harvests the nectar and the pollen, the bee's immune system is compromised and it can catch an infection. Um, another healthy bee, it, it's, it's a pumpkin blossom, something like that. Uh, and it, two or three or four bees, and they may be unrelated from different colonies. They will not fight. They will work together on different flowers. They, they only will protect their own colony. That's where they put the soldiers to, to, to their work, right? Um, for whatever reason, it doesn't respond. Here we go. Come on. That's um, another variety of, of nectar-producing plant. It's called star thistle, and California has star thistle. It produces honey. It's, it's pretty uh, light-colored honey and pretty, pretty pleasant, mild honey. Uh, more star thistle, more star thistle. Here's uh, up close of the bees working around, around who? The queen. the queen, yes. And we have a healthy colony will look like this. All the bees will look uniform. They won't be deformed. They will have their wings uh, healthy and strong. However, I'll find you, uh, one of the pictures has a, a 
diseased bee. Let me see where that is. Um, there are some pests that I wanted to show you on the bees. And one of these slides has that pest. Let me see. Some people mark their queens so they could find the queens easily. Because the colony has 20, 30 bees running around, it's hard to find the queen. So if you mark it, it's easier. Um, Yes, you color code by the year, yes. Um, I had a picture of... Uh, um, yeah. All right, anyway, let me just tell you really quick. The honey mainly stored in the top of the frame and sides of the frame. The pollen is stored around. And these are where the babies are developed, the brood. There's a... I had a picture on this slide somewhere where I had no I had some pests on my bees um, these guys around the queen are the attendants they take care of the queen's needs they feed the queen they clean and groom the queen never leaves the hive to go bathroom a party the queen um, her diaper is changed by these attendants <laughs> all right yes question and what? No, this is a fully matured Italian queen. You can tell it's Italian because it's blonde or yellow all the way, gold all the way. It doesn't have uh, brown or black bands. And um, she is checking a cell. You see these empty cells here? She's checking an empty cell if the cell was polished and ready for an egg. And if, if she likes the cell and it's polished and ready, she will lay an egg there. And she will check another. And I think she's ready to lay an egg. And on this picture, you can see a bee hatching out of the cell. You see, it's just coming out of the cell. A healthy bee, when it's come out, coming out of the, or the cell, will have both wings fully developed. But if there's a, a chance of, man, I lost that slide. Anyway, I'll tell you about it. There's a small pest that is called varroa mite. And I might find it somewhere. I had it on these slides, but I lost it. Varroa mite is a pest that um, is my nephew working with the bees. Um, it's a pest that, um, yeah, he's hungry for honey. Anyway, I lost it somewhere, but let me tell you about that. There's a pest that is very, very, um, you wanted to ask something? Yes. Is the, uh, is the oh. cell Yes. The egg cell is open until about uh, about uh, ten days, eight or ten day. It becomes a cocoon, and then they cap it. The egg is open. The bees feed it, and then it becomes a larva, and then it becomes a cocoon, and then it's kept. And then it, on the twenty-first day or so, it emerges as a fully developed bee. There's another one. Yes, the queen bee is hatching out of the same fertile egg, only it was fed, instead of nectar and pollen, it was fed royal jelly. So the same egg can produce either the worker bee, which is underdeveloped female, or it can produce a queen if the bees fed it special royal jelly. And they decide when they want a queen, then they choose an egg, or 10 eggs, or 15 eggs, and feed those eggs royal jelly, and queens come out of those. Yeah, all right.
All right. Right, right. The colors, the color of the capping of the brood or larva, it actually cocoon, it will be light brown. The honey will be either light yellow or, or like, uh, it will be different color and different texture. Do they mix them together or do they only use one frame for one and one? They mix them together, but here's the rule of thumb. You do not extract the honey out of the brood box. Yeah, you have first and second box for the brood. Then you can use a piece of equipment called queen excluder. It's a mesh made out of wire or plastic that covers the whole top of a hive. The worker bees are small enough to go through it, but the queen is large and it cannot go through it. So when you put a third box on top, then you just have honey. So. Uh, when you use queen excluder, all your babies will be down in the bottom and the, the honey will be on the top boxes. You can probably have three or four boxes. One, two will be babies, three and four will be honey. So you extract just the honey. Now on some years, they will have so much honey that they will fill the second box with honey too. Then you can go and assess, oh, if, if this is all honey and I still have a good season ahead of me, I might take some of it. But if it's almost the end of the season, you say, the bees will need this honey for the winter. I'm not touching the second box. I'm only taking third and fourth box. But the second box will be food for the winter for the bees. So that's what you do. So let's go back to the pests and, and, and um, organic methods of controlling them. For this pest, particular, uh, particularly this, uh, this little mite called varroa mite, and the disease or the infestation called varroa infestation, um, there's many chemicals that are on the market to kill that mite. Some of those chemicals are harsh. Some, some of them are like uh, muriatic acid <laughs> that is diluted. And, and it's carcinogenic, and you don't want it in your hives. Some of it is, is so, it's labeled, it's so dangerous that the label on the medication says, wear protection, wear goggles, wear rubber gloves when you handle this stuff. So you can, you can imagine that if you put those chemicals in your hive, it's not that healthy because you will be eating honey of, out of that hive. And some of the medication that you buy for varroa mites says do not use during honey flow. Basically, do not use in the summer. Use it in the early spring or fall only because if you contaminate your honey with those chemicals and you're eating honey, you're eating those chemicals. It's not good. So this varroa mite is the size of a poppy seed and it's sort of reddish brown color and it's if you look under the microscope uh, uh, magnifying glass you'll see it has legs like it looks like a crab if you've seen crab on the beach and it runs on bee body and it it lodges between her um, um, glands and any crevasse on her abdomen and between thorax or abdomen and punctures a hole and sucks the lymph out of the bee weakens her immunity kills the bees but that's not the worst thing that it does. The worst thing that it does, it likes developing and, and reproducing in the cells where the bees reproduce. And it feeds on the larva of the, of the baby bee. So the queen mite will go in a cell just before it's being kept and lay her eggs there. And then the cells are kept or sealed, right? And that larva is surviving that 
that torment by these these mites there that are developing too and the baby mites are feeding on the lymph of the larva and the larva is growing spinning spinning the cocoon developing but meanwhile you have these 10 or 15 uh, mites eating on you and sucking your blood or lymph so eventually the bee is born but it is born deformed maybe no wings or short wings or wings that don't unfurl and the bee cannot fly it just walks on foot all her life and mainly those bees in a very bad infestation of varroa mites you're losing colony within a year year or your second year you lost your colony that's how bad it can be so how do you deal with this well there's a few methods you don't if you don't want to use harsh chemicals and i don't recommend you do uh, you can use organic methods for example um, how many of you um, from moderate climates know what wormwood is a plant wormwood okay wormwood is very bitter herb uh, in romanian we call it pelin <laughs> so, yeah so wormwood has some chemicals in it that discourage reproduction of the mite so if you can collect some wormwood and put it on, on the top of your hive or put a few branches in your hive it releases those less harsh uh, plant substances that discourage development of varroa mite or worm wood oh what oh you put it in the hive in a, right in the hive on top of your frames and and then it slowly the leaf mainly the, the small not the thick stems but the smaller branches well, another thing you could do thyme is another plant that is is um, known to discourage uh, development and reproduction of uh, varroa mite you can use thyme as the herb you use you know but try fresh thyme try growing your own thyme there's actually an organic product to fight varroa infestation called thymol and you can buy thymol in a store it's organic way of dealing with uh, with uh, uh, varroa mite infestation yes you can plant it around that helps too just the just the f aroma and the 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 natural uh, substances in it will help now there's there's some management um, techniques you could do for example the larva of a bee is fairly small now the larva of the of the drone is larger and fatter and juicier and those cells you remember they are big and fat cells for the drones so um, varroa mite queens notice that and they prefer laying their eggs in what kind of, of cells drone cells so you could buy drone size frames they are imprinted with drone size cells let your colony build the full frame comb just for the drones you put that frame in the middle of the colony where a queen lays eggs and she will look and say hey these are drones cells and then she said oh okay well we need drones anyway so she lay full frame of drones and they the the all the the mite queens will say hey what a wonderful party and they'll start laying tons of eggs in those larvas and they will be sealed and you check on your frame every week or so whenever it's sealed completely take it out and put it in the freezer put that frame in the freezer and that's your trap for all the mites in your colony and you repeat it every few weeks trap your mites 
Then you take them three days later out of the freezer, and if you have uh, birds in, around where you live, or chicken, just put that frame out by the tree, the birds will come and peck out all the, all the larvae out and, and eat. They really love that. And then you return that comb back to the hive, and you trap more mites. So that's, that's natural, organic ways of dealing with varroa infestation. Yes? Comb? Yes. Both sides. They don't waste space. There's foundation in the middle, and they build cell on this side and this side. Both sides, yeah. So the frame will be reusable, and you can trap the mites again and again, freeze them, and feed the birds. And, you know, there's benefits. Yes? There we go. Chickens love us. You know, my grandparents had chickens too. And uh, whenever I would do this trick with the drones, I just put them out and the chicken would be fighting, especially baby chicks or toddler chicks or teenager chicks, would come and peck, 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 peck really quick. Within two, three minutes, they will peck the whole comb out. You won't have any larvae left. So all your, all your uh, varroa um, mites will be gone. So there's also natural organic ways and, and things on the market you can buy. You can just research organic ways of controlling varroa mites online and you'll find out. Yes? Um, wouldn't when they pick out the larva, wouldn't sometimes some of the walls be damaged? Sometimes they damage, but the bees, uh, well, the birds are very skilled in getting the, the larva out. You know, especially woodpeckers, they are so skilled, their tongue is designed to get larva. So they are very skilled, they are good, sh they aim well, and they are good shot kind of a bird. But sometimes they damage it, but the bees manage to repair it very quick. You return the comb back, the bees will fix it within next couple hours. Yes? So can actually reuse that comb then? Yes. You bring it back, the queen will lay drones again. Now the queen will stop laying dro drone eggs when there's no nectar flow. Let's say it's August. It's, it's a drought, no flowers. The queen won't lay any drones because she, she has this, this sense about her. She only needs drones when there's plenty of flowers so she could start new colonies, you know, left and right. We can, we can have a party. But when there's no flowers, it's dry, no rain, then the queen stops laying drones and then she stops laying even regular eggs because there's no food. Unless you feed your colony thin sugar water, not 50%, but 40% sugar content. That sends the signal to the queen that, hey, there's very thin nectar coming in. That must mean that there's plenty of rain. And if there's plenty of rain, that's a good sign that I have, I can plan for the future to lay some drones so I could start a new colony. So you can trick the colony even in the fall to lay some drone eggs by feeding thin sugar water. So then you can collect the varroas again. So varroa is a really bad pest and there are ways to control it. If you don't, within a year or two, your colony is dead. V-A-R-R-O-A. V-A-R-R-O-A. Time. Uh, it's almost as a, it, if you do it yearly, it's as effective. It's just, it's m probably better because your bees are healthier. Now, if you do chemical management, uh, your bees suffer also. So you, you would want to do organic management uh, of, of varroa mites. And there are organic products on the market, and there are natural herbs as we talked. Wormwood is one of them. Thyme is another one of them. And organic ways of managing where you trap it in the comb, freeze it, and then you can feed the birds with it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, here's how you diagnose varroa infestation. If you take the, 
the comb out and you look at the bees and on one frame you can find more than five bees with a red dot on its back. It, the size of a mite is about the poppy seed size and it's red, the brown red. You will see it on the back of the bee, you will see it on the tummy of the bee. If you see three or five, it's a bad infestation and you better do something about it, like put a, a trap in them, you know, a trap frame that you will freeze. Now, there's another way, but it's a way late, uh, a poor way, it's too late to treat. You still can treat, but the results won't be as good. It's when you see wingless bees in your hive. If you come to your hive and you see, all of a sudden you see bees without wings, they are underdeveloped because the larva was, was damaged by the varroa developing in the same cell. So when you see that, it's, all right, when you see that, it's time to go. So right now, let's, let's stop here. We'll talk about two more pests in the afternoon, and we'll talk about lessons learned from the bee colony in afternoons. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.